and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are going to have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now... Let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I am Brian Levinson. Excited to have you with us today for another terrific episode. But before we get to today's guest, I'd like to share a bit about myself. So I work as an executive coach and a mental performance coach, and I founded a company called Strong Skills, and that Strong Skills our team is on a mission to change how the world thinks about soft skills. See, we believe labeling competencies like leadership, teamwork, and communication as soft devalues and minimizes the importance of these skills. And one of the strong skills that we teach is what we call shift your mind. And the teachings come from my book, which came out in October of 2020. If you enjoyed today's conversation or any of our past guests, then I know you're going to love the book. You can head over to Amazon or anywhere books are sold to purchase, and you can even listen to the audiobook via Audible. Thanks to all of you who have already purchased, and I truly have been overwhelmed by the response the book continues to get. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all of your support. Lastly, speaking of support, if you enjoyed today's episode or any of our previous conversations, it would mean the world to us if you went over to iTunes and wrote us a review. It really does help us expand the reach of the podcast. You wouldn't believe how many people find us via iTunes. And thanks to all of you who have already done so, let's continue to share these intentional performers with the world. And speaking of intentional performers, Will Reynolds is today's guest and he is exactly that. You have been warned. Will likes to curse. So if you got a little one in the car with you and you're listening to these conversations and you are uncomfortable with profanity, now might be the time to pause or to let your young one know that, hey, there's going to be some curse words in here because you're going to find with Will, he speaks his mind, he speaks his truth. But he's also someone who's super curious and interested in learning and growing and staying open. So I love his combination of conviction and passion and beliefs while still not being closed to the world. I think that combination is what made me really, really enjoy chatting with Will. And I've even continued chatting with him after our conversation today. So we continue our conversation beyond what we simply record on the podcast. So 
I think this guy is so unique. He's so interesting and he's, he's authentic. He's genuine. He's real. And Will started Sierra Interactive in 2002 as a one-man operation out of his living room. Today, Sierra's home to over 150 employees across Philadelphia and San Diego. So Will is a leader. He's going to talk about culture in this conversation. He's going to talk about what it's been like leading this organization during a pandemic. And we get real. We talk about money. We talk about giving back and philanthropy and impact. And we talk about inspiration and how that plays or doesn't play in his life. So at the end of the day, this is someone who I know you're going to learn a lot from. He's super sharp. He's super bright. And he's in it. He's doing the work. He is living the way that he talks about living. He's intentional about what he cares about and what he's passionate about. And so you're just going to love meeting Will. So let's fire up the mics. And here is Will Reynolds. Will, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Excited to chat with you. Rand connected us. And when I had Rand on the podcast, he started referencing your blog post about this word enough. And after we finished recording, that's why I said, Hey, do you think Will would be someone good for me to chat with? He's like, hell yeah. So here we are and we're chatting. Um, and that word enough is probably where I think I'd like to start because when we were talking before I hit record, you said, I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like I'm not there yet. And so when you're saying things like that, and then I'm thinking about your article about, well, I have enough. I start to get like, well, what's going on? Do you have enough or are you there yet? How do you think about the differences between I haven't done anything yet and I still have a lot of room to grow and I have enough? Ooh, um, thanks for calling that out. Um, very few people do. So it's this weird thing because I think sometimes people can misinterpret my enough as like content and I'm very content, right? Um, I think when I talk about enough, it's like, there's nothing else that I need to get myself. There's no, there's nothing else to buy that improves my life. There's nothing that has a dollar sign on it that I go, Ooh, if I just had a little bit more, I would do that where I haven't completed. And I still feel like I'm well into my journey is on um, the impact that I have within my community building a, a stronger and stronger platform for my team to showcase their skills and what they're capable of. Um, and the impact that I can have for my clients and for this industry. Like, I still feel like, okay, I got some work to do in that regard. I got a lot of work to do. I haven't checked those boxes yet. I think there's a misconception about contentment and complacency. And we tend to blend them together. I once worked with a high school basketball team. They had this great year. And then they brought me on to work with the team. And their t-shirt said, satisfaction is the enemy of success. And I was an intern at the time. And I remember talking to the coach, who's a brilliant coach. And I said, I don't know, I'm learning about all this power that comes with fulfillment and satisfaction and contentment. I think life should be felt in a fulfilling and satisfying and content way. And the way I've come to understand is he was saying complacency is the enemy of success. When we stop learning and growing and caring, that's where we get hung up. Yeah. You're not in your head. So riff on that with me for a little bit. Yeah. You know what happens, man? Like I'm just sick of fucking hanging out with people that want to tell me how successful I am. Like nobody that's good got better when other people said you're good. It's like, you know what? I don't need that. Right. And I think sometimes you look around and you're like, so it's, it's funny. If I look at my funnel, like my funnel of people who are willing to tell me how successful I am is yay big. 
my funnel that of people are willing to say, you can do more. You're fucking being lazy. You need to step your game up. I know you're not at your capacity is like two. Who are, who are those people? Uh, I would say it's actually one. Um, it's, it's my, one of my advisors, this guy, Steve Gerard. He's like the only person who in this whirlwind of just look how successful you are. Look how much you've done. I'm like, I run a company that's a $35 million a year company. Like, that's not to say that the number matters, but like, there's a lot of freaking room after that, yo. Like, and I think so many of us pull up at the, at the finish line because we just start getting our heads gassed up by how many people are telling us how great we are. We just start walking around feeling that way. And I do a lot of mentorship. Um, I feel like I owe it to people in my community to, 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 to try to mentor and things of that nature. And with these entrepreneurs, man, I fucking hate talking to them. The amount of people that I talk to that think they've done something, right? And the way they feel about themselves is like, ooh, like, look at what I've done. Like, I'm building this company to change the world. I literally was working with these two guys. They're talking about an impact on the world and their startup can't employ them full time yet. And there's all this bluster and shit around being a CEO and all that stuff. So I'm kind of just really wickedly over that whole notion. What, what does Steve do to help you? What is, how does he, how does he approach working with you? I know working is a, I'm not saying formal, but how does he approach you to help you see past maybe your own ego or your own noise in your head or like I'm watching the Kanye West documentary. I mean, Kanye is such a fascinating human because he's a brilliant genius on one end. Uh, his arrogance, I think is part of what makes him special. And it's interesting who he surrounds himself with and who he has surrounded himself with. So I like watching people like Kanye because on one hand, I'm like, man, you're brilliant. On the other end, it's like, man, who is helping you stay humble? Who is helping you stay down on the ground? And his mom, I think helped him in a lot of ways before she passed. Um, so anyway, back to you, not Kanye, like Steve, how does Steve approach you to, to help you see the world possibly a little differently? You know what? I feel like we, we have a, we have a shortage of people that call us out on our bullshit. And I think Steve is one of those guys that he's very like, I remember one time he and I were like saying, we're going back and forth on something in the office. and, And he was like, I don't think these people here know what they're working for. Right. And I'm like, yeah, they do. We went over this thing and here's the, the diagram. He's like, all right, I'm going to go talk to eight people. First eight people I say, I'm going to go ask them what they're working for. How many of them you think are going to answer the bullshit you're telling me right now? And I was like, and he goes to open the door and I was like, ah, no, 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 I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm kind of bullshitting myself that like I've been clear about this direction or whatever it was at the time. And that's the kind of person he is. And I just love, I think it's funny, the more quote unquote successful you are, the more you're like, I'm like anybody else, man. Like I'm trying to strive, not like anybody else, but like I'm trying to strive and get better. Like, and a lot of us are in that position. Many of us are trying to strive and get better. And you find yourself being like, where the freak, when I look around the people bigger than most of the people bigger than me, aren't morally, I'm not aligned with them. Right. So it's like, Oh, well, you could grow a company and be big, like insert person here. I'm like, I don't want to be like them. Like, I don't want to be anything like them, right? So then I also have this narrow window of, of people that I look to that I'm like, oh, if I grew my company, I could grow it in that way. And that, that's also narrow for me too. Yeah, who inspires you? Really nobody. Um, and I say that because everybody's got some shit going on with them, man. Like, you know, how many people I've looked up to and then after a year or two, you're like, oh, like you're actually not who I thought you were. And I think- 
So for me, it's not like I don't really look up to people, you know, uh, that way, because there's also this like, I don't know, like I can grab inspiration from a person, but I, it's mostly I just look for people who walk the walk. That's it. Right. Like, like if I look at like the guy um, who wrote um, Yvonne, how do you pronounce his last name from um, Patagonia, the guy that founded Patagonia. It's like, I like that guy because he walks the walk. Right. Like he doesn't write these books and say all this shit. And then somewhere you can find cracks in what he's doing and be like, that was just some marketing shit. It's like, oh, no, like like you, you walk the walk. So like Yvonne Shambrata or whatever his name is, like he's a guy that I look at from a distance as like, yeah, because he walked the walk. Yeah, I think so. I do an exercise with my clients where I have them create a personal philosophy. And the way we get to the personal philosophy is by them listing five people that inspire them. And then what are the adjectives that make up who those people are? And then they can see, all right, are there any patterns between those people? And so the goal isn't to be Gandhi or Martin Luther King or, you know, the CEO and founder of Patagonia or Kanye West, but there might be a piece of Kanye or a piece in Gandhi or Mother Teresa that I say, wow, I don't want to be Mother Teresa, but her kindness I do have that aspirationally. So I think Full inspiration staff. and aspiration are actually linked. And I, I agree with you. I think the mistake and the trap is thinking that, well, I want to be Kanye or I want to be Jay-Z or I want to be Michael Jordan or whoever the person is. No, you don't because they have flaws and they have issues just like you do. You want to be you, but there's probably an element of them that if they inspire you, there's something about that Patagonia CEO and founder, his desire to give back, how he walks the walk and how he won't sacrifice his morals and his integrity. It doesn't mean you want to be him, but that's probably part ah, of your personal philosophy. Yeah. Like, like, you know, you look at somebody, I mean, it's cliche, but it's like, I, I, I think I tend to highly value people who walk the walk. Like when I look at like a David Goggins type, you know, it's like, Oh, everybody's David Goggins. It's like, yeah, but look at this guy. Like he literally is putting stuff out there and he's literally following through with it. Like, cause I think that that's, that's a harder and harder trait to find in people, I think, these days. So I tend to value it. I tend to value like um, humility, you know, like, I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's it, a good question. I, I probably gotta do some soul search in there because it's like there's characteristics of people for sure. But as a person, I don't think any one person really embodies somebody who I would inspire, who inspires me as a whole person. Yeah, I think it's it's tough when you look to one, but if you look at an amalgamation or you try to take from each, that's how I think about it. Even I think about the people closest to me who inspire me, like my dad, for example, um, and my mom or my grandma or my wife or my kids. I don't want to be my kids, but heck, they inspire me with their curiosity and fearlessness, right? 100%. And so it's just, I think humans need inspiration. Uh, it's probably why those people are coming to you to be mentored. Um, and it's interesting when you said you don't love the mentoring piece because it's like, man, don't follow my path, like create your own. And by the way, like I'm making mistakes too. Um, and, and so that, that makes complete sense to me. There's something interesting when, when I went on and started researching you on your Twitter homepage, there's a quote in the background that says, be brave enough to suck at something new. Can you tell us why that is highlighted there? Why have you decided to focus on, Hey, let's be brave enough to suck at something now. You know, what's interesting is one of the things I love about Twitter bios is that you don't get a lot of space to say something. So, you know, <laughs> I'm judgy. Like my brain is really judgy, um, but I just don't, you know, 
pontificate or talk publicly about things. But like that is that combined with I am whatever you say I am, which is in my Twitter bio, is like deeply meaningful. And one is I think so many of us, you get to a certain level and you're just running to reinforce the thing that got you to where you got to. And you forget what it's like to be a rookie all over again, you know, taking out the equipment, sucking at something. And I think there's a lot of value in seeing your company watch you struggle to learn Python, to learn SQL, to learn a new language and just have them be like, damn, dude sucks. It's like, yeah, man, this is what it looks like. Right. Um, So I love, but it takes bravery because once you get to a certain level, really what you what your brain probably really wants is the dopamine hit of people constantly telling you how awesome you are. And really what you need to do is run away from those people if you want growth and instead go, where am I like one of the people that sucks again? Because that gives me motivation to get better versus being one of the people at the top and just hanging out with that same crew. Yeah, and I think beyond dopamine, our society, our schooling system sets things up that if you get an A on a test, you're you're, you're now rewarded. You're special. It's interesting. I've interviewed players at the NBA combine, major league soccer combine with the NHL. And I'll often ask them, Hey, why do you play your sport? And they'll say, well, I'm good at it. And when we're good at things like that sense of satisfaction often comes out, we are more determined because we're good at something. And it's interesting when I saw that quote, my son, the other day, who's six years old, (laughs) I was cooking something and my wife was running out the door to go out with with some of her girlfriends and I had finished a full day of work. I came downstairs like, all right, now I got to cook them dinner. And I don't be honest. Like I don't cook my kids dinner that much and I'm making it. And I'm like, I don't know how to do this. You're just asking me to just do it. And I'm like, I know this is easy for you, but this isn't my, I want to microwave that frozen pizza because I know how to do that. And my son in all his brilliance looks at me. He's like, dad, you'll figure it out. I'm just like, how old's your kid? Six. Oh, it's awesome, dude. Damn, he just said what, what Will's telling me. Like, dude, so what? Suck at it and you'll learn and you'll, you'll grow. And guess what? I, I figured it out and now I can do the damn thing. Um, for real. For you, you've got two kids. Um, what have they taught you uh, as, you've become, as you've become a father and, and you've experienced that journey <laughs> along the way? What of learning. And I'm, I feel proud of myself that I'm able, that I'm better at it than I thought I would have been is like having a child that's into something that is way different than what you were into. You know, one of the most interesting things I'm realizing about raising kids is like, you know, I turned out all right. Okay. So, um, you know, you kind of were raised by your parents in a certain way and you kind of like, well, that's the way to raise a kid because look how I turned out. I turned out fucking great, right? Like I'm thoughtful, I'm kind, I'm successful, I work hard, blah, 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 whatever people want to say about me, right? And you're like, that's a good way to raise kids. So then you go to raise kids and you have your significant other, your spouse, your partner, whatever people want to call it. And, uh, and you're like, you turned out great. And then you watch them have taken a totally different path to get to their greatness. And you're like, what? And a lot of times it culminates itself in how you're trying to raise your kids because you're just defaulting to what you did because you turned out okay. Um, so I've been learning like, you know, my kids, like my, my, my oldest right now is just not really into sports. Um, and for me and my wife, like sports was like a quintessential part of like who we kind of were, uh, you know, throughout grade school, high school, all that stuff. So to like watch your child be like, yeah, like to watch my kid try to catch a football, you know, and there's a part of me that's like, 
hmm, is that because I'm not practicing with him enough, right? Like, am I not spending enough time with him for him to learn those things? Or is he not interested? Like, is it is it something where it's not like his inclination, but he could be? And all that self-doubt around like, well, if I start pushing him on trying to catch it, I'm outside with him throwing a football. Like, I don't want to be pushing my kid to do something he don't want to do. But then if I just go up, oh, he's just not really into sports, then like maybe he is, but I'm not putting the time in. And like, there you go. Like there's that whole train that's going off in your head as a parent that I think is 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 tough. So yeah, there's that. But I always, it's funny, like I like to keep things simple. So I just want to raise a kind kid. Like, honestly, like I have to say that to my teachers when they come to me with their like, oh, we're a little bit concerned about this or that. I'm like, that's not my number one goal. My number one goal is to raise a kid who sees things in the world, sees things that are wrong and says like, I can be a part of solving them. And that can happen with a C student, a D student or an A student. So like, let's not start with his A's and B's. Let's start with like, are you seeing him be kind to other kids? Are you seeing him go out of his way to be kind to other kids? Because I needed to get those A's and B's to get to a different, decent place in life. My parents made sure that I did, but my kids don't need A's and B's to have a decent life. Like they'll have more than a decent life with C's. Um, so my goal is kindness. Oh man. Uh, there's a woman in your backyard, Angela Duckworth, who studied grit and she's now real. I mean, she has something called the character lab. And so she talks about kindness and the importance of kindness um, the importance of curiosity, which you sort of said, Hey, are you going to see problems and, and try to make things better? I think you have to be curious. And she was just on a podcast with Michael Gervais, who has a great podcast called finding mastery. And he was saying the two things he wanted from his son was kindness and strength, which I thought was kind of an interesting way to think about it. Um, he wanted kindness and strength. And then he said, as he got older, as we thought we did a good job in instilling that with him then we can map on curiosity and some of these other pieces. Um, but Angela talked a lot about the power of curiosity, which is what I'm obsessed with. I think like you just can't learn without curiosity. And like I watch kids and kids naturally have curiosity. And then for some reason, adults take it away from them. Um, like we, we create systems and processes to remove their curiosity because it can be annoying when your kid is asking you how everything works. And so it's easy to just give them answers. And so I'm really interested in, and curious about, to your point, like how do we develop character? And the one thing I'll say about me and my brothers, you were mentioning how you were raised. My, my dad was a very successful entrepreneur. So we were raised with all kinds of privilege, including our parents being together and healthy and like my, my neighborhood, my, my best friends were in my neighborhood. Like privilege is an easy word for me to say for a lot of reasons. I understand why other people have an issue with the word. Um, but the one thing people will say, because me and my brothers, you said, oh, I turned out all right, Will. Like, I turned out, me and my brothers turned out all right as well. Um, there's issues with each of us, but we turned out okay. And people will say, well, what did you do to raise like three sons that are seemingly good human beings? And I always tell people, we weren't like told to go after greatness or like it, to stay with things and to never quit. They, my parents both, wanted us to be good people. They just say, thank you. Uh, hold the door for someone. Don't bully somebody. Um, be thoughtful with how you speak and speak with confidence when you do. But kindness, I think, was the North Star for what they cared about and what they punished us for, by the way. And like, and I'm thinking about that for my kids too. Like, am I rewarding kindness? How can I reward kindness? How can I reward curiosity instead of stifle it? 
Um, and my, my kids are polar opposite. So it's tricky because we want to have systems and things that we believe in, but we want to give them the flexibility to nurture their nature because they're very different beings. So I'm obsessed with being a dad because to me, it's like, I can impact that every day. Um, but I don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm still trying to figure it out. It's really hard. You know, I put a tweet out there a while ago. So I saw this little girl who was like by this other kid's side as he was going through like all kinds of different things. He has cerebral palsy or something. And it's funny, like, you know, people retweeted and talk about it, whatever. But my question was, what did her parents do? Like, what did they not do? What did they model for her? Like, what did they model that had their daughter realize that it was right to consistently be there for this child, this kid that's her peer, same age, whatever, at all these times where he was battling cancer? I forget what it was. So I'm like deeply reflective on that, bro. Like when I see a kid be really kind to another kid, I instantly go to what are their parents modeling? Right. And then am I modeling those kind of behaviors? Because your kids are going to do a lot of things they saw you do. Right. Um, and like, I had a proud moment once when my kid, when one of my kids was like, Hey dad, you're ordering food on the app. Cause we order Grubhub because we're like afraid to go outside and shit like for the last <laughs> two years. And, uh, and he's like, yo, that, that guy over across the street, that's sleeping out in the street. Like, can we order some food for them to drop off at him too? And I was like, yes. I was like, this is what the, the, the synapse that I want to connect in that kid's head, which are like, we have enough. We live around people that are, that we can see struggle. So therefore my kid doesn't think like, oh, everybody's dad is the CEO and I live on some cul-de-sac somewhere. Right. So he's like, he's seeing struggle. And then he's being like, I, can't we do something about that dad? Right. And, and like, that felt good, man. That felt like, okay, like maybe I'm starting to show this kid certain ways of living that, and he's going to the right schools and things like that, that are showing him that we have a responsibility. Um, so that's what I'm really looking for is more of those moments. Right. I'm hoping I get one of those every so often because it just made me feel like I might be on the right path. As you think about parenting, you also mentioned being a CEO. How do you think about creating culture within your organization and modeling certain behavior in your organization um, and the impact that you have on the people who, who work with you? I don't know. I've been questioning it a lot lately. You know, I think a lot of us, you know, company founders, whatever, like we got people leaving that been with us for eight, nine years and shit. So I don't know if I, for me, it's more like a questioning of like, is modeling that behavior is doing some of the things that I'm doing. Uh, is it having the impact that I hoped it had? Right. Um, so I'm still struggling with like, is, is it having the impact I thought it would, right. Is it having the impact that I had hoped it would, um, for instance, like I'm super disappointed in myself in the sense that like when people come to SEER, we put volunteerism and being involved in the community as a very core pillar of our business. But yet when people leave, a lot of them don't carry that with them. So to me, that's a failure, you know? Um, so like things like that, I, I'm just disappointed in myself about because my goal was to show people that there's a way that businesses can operate, be fast growth, be aggressive growing, blah, 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 blah. And still look around their communities and be like, yo, we got a responsibility to these people. And I thought that that would rub off 
even after people left here, you know, um, I'm a big gratitude guy. So like at our company, we had these little gratitude stations on every, at every, in front of every elevator, stamps, thank you cards, pens, envelopes, like write something while you're waiting, like write something nice to somebody. Um, and I thought those kind of things that we had done, which were different than anything I had ever experienced being at like the core of a company would continue to proliferate after people left here and it really hasn't, you know, I kind of hoped that I'd have this army of people that were going out and changing businesses for good when they left here. And they just, for the most part, from what I can see, they're just fall into whatever that business does, which is rarely fucking, we need to volunteer. We need to be grateful. We need to be whatever. It's how can we make the most money we can this quarter or whatever it is, or beat the competitor or get more clients or win more awards. So that feels like a big failure to me. Is that different than a decade ago? Or is it just a product of where you're at as a company? Uh, it's a good question. It's a really good question. Um, so something that, you know, I got some data back on our time spent volunteering and it, it was another thing I was just deeply disappointed in myself in because I model the behavior. Like I model the behavior hard. So people know I'm not just saying we need to be part of the community. It's like, no, no, it was out there in the field. Right. What's been interesting is, um, when people used to start at SEER, they had to, in order to accept their offer, they had to sign that they would volunteer three hours a month or I didn't want to work with them. So it was like, I don't want to work with you. Like, if you're not thinking that you want to, if you can put three hours in a month to helping someone in your community, there's a lot of other places you can go be, right? And this ain't one of them. Um, and what's interesting is we looked at our trajectory and over the last, like, let's just say 12 years, we grew our headcount 10X. We only grew our volunteer hours 3X. And that was like, well, uh, an awakening moment for me too, to be like, mm, that's not pulling through the way I thought. So that's why we're now hiring a community impact manager specifically to work on making sure that we improve those metrics in our business. Where did you learn about volunteerism? I don't really know. Like I saw my mom do a little bit, right? Um, but for me, it's like, I went to school to be a teacher. So that's one of the other things that I just love about this path that I'm on is people are like, Oh my God, look at how great off you are and successful. I'm like, I went to school to be a teacher dog. I didn't want none of this shit. It's so interesting to have something that so many people congratulate you for and want and say they want and what they're working towards. And you're like, you know what? I got all this by not wanting it, by just trying to be better than I was yesterday. I'm so sick of like people with their five and 10 year goals. And it's like, I never had that. And I grew something much bigger than I ever expected. Um, so for me, it's just very like, just fucking be better than you were yesterday, dog. Like find new perspectives, learn new ways that people go through the world. Be unafraid to suck at something new, take a new path, like try something new, man. Like, don't just stay on that. Like I got this five-year plan to be like a $20 million company. It's like, how, uh, that, that's, that's a lot of days in five years. What if you don't like the, 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 what you did on the way there? But for me, the volunteer piece came from, I was um, at a children's hospital with my cousin. He was sick. He was in the hospital. And these people came to play with him and take his mind off of his illness. And as a teacher, I was like, man, I miss working with kids. So at 25 years old, when I was in the middle of my like reform frat boy days, like I was always a hard partier, went to the shore, partied, hung out late big time, like drinker, hang out my friends. I was always that kind of guy. Like I always loved to party. And, um, and I was like, in the middle of doing all that, I was like, wait a second. Like, it's amazing that these people are taking time out of their freaking day, Bri. Like they're taking time out of their day after work to come and make a kid. I don't know, like just get their mind off of their illness for a couple hours. And I wasn't like, I got kids. I didn't have kids until I was almost 40. So it wasn't like I had kids or I had some empathy for that. It was just more like, yo, that seems like a good thing to do. 
And it's always been at the core of, uh, of the business is that we're going to be a company that looks at people in our community and try to be a part of shining some light. You mentioned wanting to be a teacher. I think of our teachers as do-gooders. Um, like they do a lot of good. Um, and then you have people in business who often want to do well. And so just simplify it. Um, as I hear you talk, I hear the teacher in you, I want to do good. And I also want to do well. And so for one of the things that my dad always talked to me about was like, if I do well, I can do a whole lot of good. Um, in addition to that, those that say money can't buy happiness are spending their money wrong. They're, they're not using that money to do good or they're not using their money in the right places. Um, so those are like frameworks that I, that I've tried to think about, um, question. Um, but I too, I wanted to teach for America when I graduated from college. Uh, my wife did. Yeah. Your wife's smarter than me. They said, we don't want you. They said, you know, Hey Brian, you seem great, but they only accept like 10% of their applicants or something insane. I said, I'm signing up as a white kid from privilege to go into the inner city. And like, you're saying, nah, dude, we don't want you. And so, but I, I was a lost pup in college. I had no idea what I wanted to do, but that was what I thought made me feel alive. And I was excited by, I got rejected. It put me on a different path. Um, but I, I, I think it's fascinating as you're trying to say, Hey, we're going to do well, but we're also going to do good. And it's going to be a part of our ethos and part of our culture. Um, it's interesting. I've gotten exposed to university of Maryland. They have a whole school of philanthropy and I'll connect you with those guys. Cause I think you'd be fascinated to learn maybe some of the research around it. And one of the things that they've shared with me is that religion is a complicated thing. I, we, we can all agree. It's not, it's not a perfect entity, but the one thing that almost every religion does is instill the idea of giving back um, and, and instill that from a young age in our, in our children. And one of the things that they're finding it as people move away from traditional religion, then their willingness and desire to volunteer and give back philanthropically is going down as well. So one of the sacrifices that we make when we move away from traditional religion is that people are not getting that same um, ethos or, or um, value in the importance of volunteering and giving back. Um, so it's just something I'll, I'll, I'll connect you with them. I think you enjoy learning with them. Please do. No, send it over. Um, for you, the other part that I'm, I'm so curious about is on your website, it says we don't trust our gut. And as I'm talking to you, I mean, before we start recording, you're like, ah, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll share anything. Like you're pretty open book. It seems like you do go from the gut a lot in how you express yourself. So can you talk about how you use the mind and the gut and, and also the heart and how you might navigate your, your, your mind, your heart, your gut? Um, it's interesting. So when it comes to how we consult for our clients on how to take advantage of opportunity, I want to use as little fucking gut as possible because I've realized, you know, people again, oh, well, we want will, we want will. It's like, yeah, you might want me, but you realize I've only worked on like 800 websites in my entire career. Like, you know, there's billions of them, right? Like, you know, that the things that I was doing five years ago don't work on Google anymore, right? Like, you know, half that stuff doesn't exist anymore, right? So it's one of the things I love about my job is it keeps me, it's a hard job to be like, cause I've been doing this for 20 years. You should listen to me. It's like, no, these young bucks will come get me if I don't freaking step up. Right. So, um, there's that, ah, sorry. That was, um, I'm off, I'm off track though. Give me your question again. Yeah. Gut, head and heart, how you, how you leverage all three and, and how that looks for you. So like guts easy because it's like, sometimes you just know the right fucking thing to do. You know, the amount of time we spend 
going over the right thing to do over and over and over again in our heads. I mean, you know, the right thing to do is right. So I, that like, for instance, um, when the pandemic hit and the government wasn't exactly sure what they were going to do uh, to help people, you know, I remember talking to one of my coworkers and her mom tends bar and her mom's like, what the hell am I going to do? And I'm like, I got to do something for this girl's mom. Like, you know, but then I was like, ooh, that doesn't scale. And then that's how CEOs get called out for favoritism and bullshit, right? Um, it's like, oh, why'd you do something for this person? I didn't you know, so then I had to go into scale mode. And I was like, okay, how can we scale this? So I was like, all right, cool. We're just gonna take 150 grand out, um, you know, and make a bunch of like uh, $1,500 stipends like out to people's parents to cover, you know, we did like the Bernie Sanders $15 an hour times 40 hours a week times two weeks, added a little bit for taxes, cool and we just started giving shit out to people's parents and their it was their their significant other their parents their sibling like whoever freaking needed the help we were just like screw it like we're going to be there to help them that's a gut call that's like a you know what i always think of is how would i want somebody if my parents they worked in companies whatever jobs mostly public services um but it's like how would i want them to have been treated if they're if they had a ceo or a boss that had the means that i had and, you know, it's an easy decision to make. So we, when it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, when it comes to how I run this business, it's mostly run off of gut, right? And heart. Uh, and and heart. heart. What's the right fucking thing to do? And I think the sad part about that is it's like, man, I keep putting that out in the world. And it can be fucking heartbreaking when you don't get that back. You know, it can be really heartbreaking because you look out at all your other role models and they're like, Grow the value of the asset, dude. Why are you trying to dilute your ownership over time to make a bunch of people, you know, a lot of money if this company ever exits when like, they'll give you two weeks and be like, peace. So that's another thing I've been struggling with because I'm, I don't want any more than I have, but yet this asset has a lot of value as seer. And, and you know, there's been interest in it. Um, so then I'm like, oh, well, if I sold this business and I took my current shares, uh, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I end up with all this money. I don't even really fucking want. So then I'm like, let me try to get it out to my team. And then as you're doing that for your team members and you're giving them like just instant, no vesting, no nothing, like, boom, you've been there for me three years, boom, here's a quarter percent, here's a half percent. And a company that's worth 50, 60 million bucks, that's real money. And, uh, and it's funny, like, it just does not have the impact that you would think. And I've always tried to build a business that's like, Yo, like, I want you to know I'm not just straight greedy trying to get up on your back, right? Um, when I had to do the $65,000 minimum salary, I was like, it just felt right. People are like, oh, well, did you research inflation? No. Did you look at the difference between Philly and San Diego? No. Did you look at the fact that different people, blah, 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 and is 65 really the right number? Don't give a shit. It was like, I don't feel good knowing that somebody in our company makes less than X, given the resources that we have. So that's another example of how I just gutted it and made the call. What's interesting is, oh, the brain is an interesting thing and how we feel about ourselves is interesting. So the world's like, you're the best, dude. You're fucking the best. You're the best. People in my company, some of them were like, I worked three years to get to 65K. Fuck you, right? Like now somebody comes in. Now we got a janitor in our company who sweeps the floors and makes the same amount as me after a four-year run, five-year run through college. And once again, I'm getting back to my initial roots. That's like, yeah, if you got a problem with that, there's somewhere else you can be. There's, a, there's, there's every other company. Go to every other company out there, right? 
that's not going to say, hey, you know what, just because this person sweeps the floors, they're a part of our team, there should be a minimum floor under them. So they're not worried about certain things. They should get full benefits and all that shit. It's like go to Apple where their freaking janitors are outsourced and those people have no fucking benefits while people are sitting there eating sushi in their freaking cafeteria. You feel me? So it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, there's a thousand companies like that. Just go somewhere else. But it was interesting to watch how people, it's like you made the same amount of money yesterday that you did today. But now that you found out that somebody else came up, you felt worse about working here. And it was like, we're not going back. So with this great resignation and people moving on, I had a conversation with the CEO of a company and he's very mission driven. He wants to change the world for the better. And he's trying to develop his people and invest in them and, and, and help them. And he's like, but they're leaving as soon as they get a job opportunity that pays them 10 grand more. And, and so it's an interesting spot to be in because he wants to create this culture and develop and invest in them. But he's like, at the end of the day, they're making decisions and, and that's their prerogative. They're, they're welcome to do it. He said, but I don't know how much more I want to keep investing into the culture. If the reality is that these people are going to be more transactional and, and once again, they're allowed to do that, but where do I go with that? And, and I bring it up because Rand who introduced us, who I had on the podcast, he has this great book. And in this book, there's this beautiful chart about culture and competence and, you know, really invest in those with culture. Um, but in 2022 with remote work and people being hired there and here, the, my client's question, he's like, I don't know how much more do I need to invest in culture versus just give me the people that can execute and do the job and are super competent and they know what they're going to earn and we're going to be transparent on it. And I'm going to go that route. So you've been in it longer than he has. So what advice would you give to that CEO <laughs> in his shoes? I got nothing because I'm in it with him. You know, we should probably get together and, and, and get some beers. Um, He's actually from Philly. He doesn't live there now, but he'll be in Philly. I'll connect you with him. Okay. Um, I'm trying to figure out the same thing. And you know what? I started saying this like eight months ago and people didn't like the way it sounded, but it was the ROI on culture is at an all-time low because people don't want to admit to themselves that like it's about the money. So what we found with one of, with one of our executives that had a lot of turnover on their team it was like people were saying things to this person on their way out. And this person's like fixing them all, fixing them all, fixing them all. And then their turnover never dropped. And it was like, right, because those people don't want to just say, look, I'm making 40% more somewhere else, dude. It's about the money because they don't want to admit that to themselves. So they're going to give you reasons why they're leaving. And then you're chasing those things down, spending God late nights trying to solve problems and figure it out. And then you're like, great, we put this in place. We put this in place. We put that in place. And it's like nothing changed. It's like, right, buddy, because maybe. So that was the only advice I would give is like, be careful. You know, it's, this is the hardest part about some of this stuff is if you take no feedback, you're, in, you're a jackass. You don't learn. You don't grow. But then you also have to learn to put that feedback in context of the time and the person and other things and be like, should I really listen to all this stuff equally? Um, so that would be the only advice I would have is be careful how much you're thinking that like, oh, if I just do more, because what that leads to is like you start giving more and doing more and giving more and doing more. And then you're like, well, shit, I ended up with the same outcome as if I had just kept this all and donated it or done something else with it, right? Whatever it is. But also, you know, I... I think it's going to be a really weird full circle that will come at some point, like, because the, because once companies are really good at looking at people as a line on a spreadsheet that has a cost 
And at least in my industry, while everything's up into the right right now, it feels great. But those companies are going to cut you as quickly as they hired you. And then all of a sudden, you're going to care more about how a company makes decisions and who their folks are. And by that time, companies like mine, because we kept having so much turnover, are going to be like, we automated half your job. Right. We had no choice. You left me with no choice. I, I had to go in the lab and stop trying to be, how can I be a better company? And be like, how can I get somebody onboarded five times faster than I used to? Because as soon as I got people on board, they were gone. So then when they come, if they come back, you know, it'll be like, I don't know if I have a role for you like that because I had no choice. So it'll be an interesting um, thing. And I also just feel bad for people coming right out of college. It's like, you know, I was listening to somebody somewhere. And they were like, a lot of people met their significant others through work relationships. And not necessarily that you dated somebody at work, but somebody you met at work took you out with them for beers and then you met their friend circle. And then that's how you met. It's like, I, you know, I, ugh, yeah, I just think that's going to be another thing that like we don't realize. So I'm trying to also play around this concept around like, do we try some in-person cohorts just to have data to test that hypothesis to be like, hmm, is there something about having people coming out of school together? Um, I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, man, it's, 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 you come home and you're disappointed at times, but you know what? Everything is about how you feel when you put your head on the pillow at night and the decisions that you made that day. And I know that I got more than I need. And I know that just adding more into that pile isn't the right thing. So even if I get my heart broken every once in a while or regularly, it feels like sometimes it's like, I know I'm trying to do the right thing. So therefore I can sleep easy knowing that I'm trying to do the right thing. It's clear you're a giver and you care about people. What do you do to make sure that you're pouring from a full cup instead of an empty cup? What do you make sure to do to make sure you're taking care of yourself so that you can actually have the reserves and, and capacity to, to give to others? Um, you know, well, it's funny, like people talk about self-care and whatnot these days. And I'm just like, and that's just like going to the gym. Like, uh, so for me, it's like, you know, um, I have to set new hard goals that aren't work related. So like, you know, um, I just finished up running 60 days in a row. Um, I had done 110 days earlier during the pandemic. Um, I usually get up at like 530 every day, go for my runs, keep those things in. Um, there were days when I would run and literally just be out there like yelling the most gangster rap lines you've ever heard just to be like, I ain't going down. Right. How I ain't far, going out how like far that. are we talking? How far are you running? Most days I would say, so my goal is to, um, hit 200 K, which is 120 miles every month and to get to about 1400 miles at the end of the year. So, um, you know, it's four to six miles a day, most days, um, so like, that's one of the things that I do. Another thing I do is it's important for me to have boundaries. It's really important because I love my job. I love my job, man. And if I don't have boundaries, I can try to be too available to too many people and not be available to the people that, that, that support me. So I remember one day my wife and I were driving back from San Diego from one of our cross country drives. And I said to her, we were driving from San Francisco to Utah. So it's a good like 12 hour drive. And, uh, and, and I was like, yo, you know what? Like I'm getting asked to do more and more shit. I got this separate office flying back and forth. I'm like, and my wife travel, my wife and our nanny travel with me and my kids. My kids have been like everywhere because I like want to keep my unit together. Right. 
because um, it's the kind of father I want to be. Like I grew up with a father who like was great, but like had to work like two, three jobs to be able to afford the cleats. So therefore, you know, um, when it comes down to it, that's what it is. But on that drive, I said to my wife, I said, like, how many days in a month could I travel without you and the family before it would be too much? And my wife has started a nonprofit and whatnot. So she's like, she's like, I'm not giving you an answer to that. She's like, I want, she's like, I love the fact that you're really into what you do and that you work hard at it and blah, 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 blah. I was like, nah, I need boundaries. She was like, I'm not giving you an answer. I'm like, well, then we're not talking. So on a 12 hour drive, we didn't talk for like four hours. No way. Yeah. I just turned on the radio. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not saying a word to you until you give me a number. Yeah, but why wouldn't you throw a number out first? You like negotiate it? Like what? No, because if I throw a number out first, somebody anchors. Anchoring mm-hmm. is a real thing. So I don't even want to cloud your mind up with where my number was at. But she didn't want to anchor either. She didn't want to. She didn't. It wasn't. I think she did not want to get in the way of. She did not want to feel like she was getting in the way of something that is why she's also attracted to me. Right. She's like, I don't, she's like, well, like you manage stuff well, but I literally need hard boundaries. So um, after about four hours, at one point, she says something. I turn the radio down. I'm like, what? I thought she was just going to start talking again. She's like, five. <laughs> and I was like, good. And she's, and then she goes down to disclaim it. And she's like, but Will, like, you got to do six or seven or eight days in a month. I don't care. Like, it's cool. I'm like, I know you know it's cool. But then what happened is, hey, Will, can you speak at this conference in India? Hey, Will, can you speak at this conference in, in the Philippines? Hey, Will, can you speak at this conference in San Diego? And I'd be like looking at my number of days. I was already gone that month. And then I'd be like, do I really want to go to that bad enough to, to fall outside of that? And the answer was no for like five or six years straight. And I only had one month in like six years where I went over that number by one day and I tracked the data. So it's weird, right? Heart, data. I tracked the data. I exported my calendar one day and was like, have I lived up to that? And I looked at it and I was like, oh shit, I actually have. Yeah. I think I go heart, gut, head. And I think it's an order to it. Like I need the energy, the passion to come from my heart. If it's something that I truly care about, then I'm pretty good. I, I've found I'm quicker to go to the gut and not let the head get in the way. Like, I, like I can act and say something stupid, but I also can act and say something brilliant. Like that both comes from the same place. <laughs> um, so it's the, it's the gift and the curse. Yeah, and then the rumination of the head will come and say, Hey, let's reflect on it. And we just drove back from New York this past weekend. My wife and I, and the kids are in the back. They fortunately fell asleep at some point. And I'm just like churning, reflecting to my wife. And she just, poor thing, has to listen to it over and over and over again. Like when I've gone to therapy before, I'm like, all right, I, I, you just listen to me. But I do this on a regular basis. Like I, I do therapy with myself all the time. Like I, I talk out loud. I talk to my wife. I'll talk to anyone who wants to listen. I got no issue. Therapy was easy for me. I'm like, this is what I do all the time. You're just maybe probing a couple more questions. Um, at any rate, it's, it's interesting because I think we start somewhere and some of us start in our head, then maybe we go to the gut or heart. But to me, it's like, we want to unlock all three because the head is helpful. It's where I learn. It's where I reflect. It's where I grow. It's where I develop. But I also, if I don't have the heart for it, I've found one of my weaknesses. I have a hard time doing things that I don't like doing. Um, and for you, you said, I love my job. You said, "I, I love it. I'm curious, like, what about your job hits you at the heart? What about it is is truly a passion for you? I get to watch people grow, dude. Like, 
watching somebody grow, watching somebody get an opportunity, watching your company be a platform for somebody to get that next best job. It, it, it's like teaching, you know, and I try to articulate this to my team, but I'm like, a teacher doesn't get mad when a kid leaves their class. It was part of the gig. That's what you're actually there for. And because Sear doesn't have the resources of an Amazon, then maybe I'm just a feeder for Amazon. Maybe I'm a feeder for Google. I have seven or eight employees that work at Google. I got like, you know, a bunch of employees that work at Amazon. And I would say like, Sear gives people a platform to go impress those people. They got more money than God, right? So of course they can pay you 30, 40 grand more than I can, dog, right? Like they're, they're a trillion dollar company. <laughs> I got 35 million, which is like two nickels in Jeff Bezos's account, right? So it's like, you better go make more money there. But like, no, like, you know, I think that's part of it. Also though, the day-to-day changes, and I mentioned this earlier, it changes enough that like this old head can't just like sit around and be like, oh, let me tell you kids about the time. And I love that. I love that the job is based in high and in, 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 in large part on performance. Like I was in, I was a wannabe athlete. Give me a fucking scoreboard, bro. Like, you know, like it's funny. I, I read something about Jeremy Shockey once, which was just crazy. I'm an Eagles fan, but it was that like he would eat dirt after a loss just to remember the taste of like defeat, right? Like what it feels like to lose and get your ass beat. And I love getting my ass beat. Like I love losing because it reminds, it's, it's, it's humbling. And it reminds you that like, well, why did I get my ass beat? Is it because I fucking pulled up at practice and didn't put the work in like this week, right? Did I not help other people on my team to get better at their craft? So as a team, we could get better. And I just freaking pumped my own iron for myself. So like, I love the push and pull in my industry of digital marketing being a lot of W's and L's. And there's not a lot of like uh, good old boys network. It's like, you come in and can prove you can do this work. Then like, you got a lot of opportunities ahead of you. Do you all celebrate winning? Yeah, we have a whole thread on winning. Because it sounds like you, I mean, you start by saying, yeah, I don't love talking about my success, but you're able to model celebrating winning as well with the team. That That's the difference is like, it's not just about you. It's about Seer. It's about, it's about the team winning. 100%. Um, no, we've, we, oh my God, like I'm a gratitude guy. So we always have highlighted, um, I mean, it's been like 12, 13, 14 years of us having institutional things where every week we highlight something that somebody did for you that um, made you better that week. Um, so like, those are the kind of things I've always been like that. But for myself, see, here's the thing. I checked off my boxes. So my mom is really proud of me. That's what I always worked towards. And like, that doesn't come from whatever my team members say or somebody on the street says. Like I needed my mom to feel like those sacrifices she made was fucking worth it. And I know that they are. I've checked that box. So like, that's my success. Like not letting this business swallow me whole is success. Not like making sure that my kids are like, nah, man, like my dad can like be around like at times, like my dad had to miss everything because he had to go work in order to pay for the cleats and the registration fees and all that shit. Um, he also didn't love sports, but like, you know what I love, right? I love ultimate fucking responsibility. I love ultimate responsibility. So like when I wasn't working out, I put a gym in my basement. Why? Cause it's like, you got to walk by that every day. 
you got no excuse. I like minimizing excuses for myself. And like at this point in my life, it's like, I should be able to be the husband that I want to be and the father that I want to be. And that's what I mean when I don't want to talk about entrepreneurship is how many people that we put up on these pedestals and deem as successful and inspirational and their kids don't even know who the fuck they are or where their dad or their mom is that day because they're always on the road. They're always doing something different and it's always a freaking FaceTime. And like for me, that's success. When I can run a business that can grow at this level and still be the father that I want to be, the husband that I want to be with the limitations and the guardrails. So someday my wife doesn't go, yeah, we got a nice house and we got some nice cars and we get to do some cool vacations and stuff. But Jesus Christ, dude, you realize you've been gone 20 days this month? And I'm going, oh, I didn't realize. Like, I just kind of live out of my suitcase, right? So like, those are the things that, that I, whenever somebody says I'm successful, I don't go through all that rigmarole. But like, that's what's triggering in my head is like, you don't know if my kids don't know my name. All you know is that I won some award this year and that I've been on the Inc. 5,000 seven years in a row. So I'm successful. What if my kids don't know my name? What if I don't have time for my mom or my dad on the weekends? Cause I'm always working. Like, what about those things? It's like, you don't know, you don't know me. And that's why I think I'm so hardcore about this, like where you get inspiration from and whatnot, because that's the stuff that I really hope to leave behind. Not how many times my company won an award or how much we grew or our revenue or our headcount or any of that stuff. Yeah, if I'm connecting dots, originally there was an external drive. Hey, make mama proud. Like, let's, I want to make mom proud. I want to secure enough finances so that I don't have to maybe worry uh, about money in the same way that I, that I used to and the freedom that can come with that. So I don't have to make decisions like your dad might've had to make um, in order to provide. Um, so there was external motivation, whereas today it's more internal and it's more driven by how you define success. And I, I think it's, it's fascinating because so many people are not clear on what success is to them. And it, like, to me, when I work with people, whether they're a professional athlete or a CEO of a company, I'm always saying to them, well, what is it that you want and what gives you fulfillment? Like those two things. Cause want, you know, some of them don't want to be married. Cool. Some of them don't want to have kids. Cool. Like I actually, I'm inspired by people who have the balls to say, I don't want to have kids. Like I wish more people in our society would say, I'm not going to be a good dad. <laughs> like, like <laughs> that's, that's fine. I don't, I don't want to get married. Like, like Jeter, Jeter with the Yankees. Like so much props to Jeter saying I'm in New York city. I'm the best looking dude. I'm making whatever I'm, I'm going to be a bachelor. And then I'm not, um, cool. Like if that works for you and that's what works. And by the way, I'm cool with the guy who at 22 marries his high school sweetheart, if that's what he wants. And we often, and, and I understand like your resistance to saying, Oh, nobody really inspires me because like, you don't want to be anybody else and you're getting clearer and clearer on, Hey, what do I think success is? And I think for everyone listening to this, it's always, and, and myself included, I have to come back to what do I identify success is because it's easy to fall into the trap of comparing yourself to who you're surrounded by and saying, well, they're more successful because they make more money or they're more successful because they've got X or they've got Y or they've got Z. And to your point, I've worked with healthy human beings for over a decade. People do not come to me because they have a specific issue. They come to me because they want to get better. And I can tell you, people have stuff that you have no idea what's going on. You know, there's abuse, there's addiction, there's relationship issues, there is financial issues that you don't even realize people have because they might be living a lifestyle beyond their means. 
And so I love that you are really clear on, Hey, this is what success means to me. And that's what I'm chasing now. And I'm, I'm still not there yet to go back to how you started because you still are identifying success on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly basis, annual basis for you. And that could be going to your kid's soccer game. Uh, like that is success. And- Yo, it's so crazy that you're saying this because motherfuckers don't want to have this conversation. Like, I don't care what anybody does as long as they're true to themselves. It's like, be true to you and be brave enough to say, this is what I value. But don't twist it up. Like, one of my favorite books is this book called Mistakes Were Made But Not By Me. And what I love about the book is it shows us how we bullshit ourselves, right? And that's what I'm always looking out for, Bri. That's the dialogue in my head. It's like, where am I bullshit myself? That's why I tend to value people like Steve Gerard, who I was mentioning earlier, because like the world's not really built to tell you where you're bullshitting yourself. Right. And like, I love that exploration of myself to be like, where am I bullshitting myself here and telling myself one thing, but then really I'm not willing to put in the work. Oh, I want to be a great dad. Well, then why don't you just like sell your company and like go coach your kids soccer games? And it's like, well, family first, uh, family first. Right. Everybody right? says, I put my family first. Okay. Yeah, right. And you work 60 hours a week, bro. Right. It's, Which is like, fine too, anyway, right? That's what I was just about to say. It's fine. But like, stop. Don't be dishonest with yourself. So anyway, this book, Mistakes Are Made But Not By Me, gives a few examples. But the one that I loved the most is this guy, Bruce Castor in Philadelphia. He's a DA. And whenever evidence would come out saying you wrongfully incarcerated somebody. I don't think there's anything worse. Like I work with a bunch of folks coming out of the prison system and other things. And it's like, I don't think there's anything worse than locking somebody up that didn't do the crime. Right. Bruce Castor would be like, but they did something. I know they did blah, blah, blah. And it's like, but DNA. And then they would go and show how often Bruce Castor would use DNA evidence to prosecute people. And they're like, the science doesn't change. The science is the same. But when the science tells you that you might be wrong, you fight it. When the science tells you that you're right, you instantly use it. And I read that book and I was like, where am I doing that? Where am I completely bullshitting myself in this world? And I need to try to stay focused on that because nobody's going to tell you, yo, you're fucking bullshitting yourself, right? Well, data is fascinating because, look, I live right outside Washington, D.C. And I will tell you, I love our city. We could talk about football another day. Um, that's a whole different conversation. We both don't like the New York Giants. Let's just say that. But um, our city is very highly educated. Like a lot of smart people live in in, in our city. And watching COVID um, and how many of you are like, trust the science, trust the science. And then I'm watching it and I'm like, all right. And I'm not one of these people. I'm not going to go protest about mass or this. It's like, you know, everyone's got to make decisions for themselves. But from my perspective, I'm like, all right, if the numbers are now low, why are our kids still in mass? I don't really understand. And if the numbers on kids are that they're mostly good from, from this thing, like trust the science. And, and so to me, it's like the ability to be hypocritical and use data to help us and to help our argument and then to ignore it when it goes against our argument, I have a hard time with that. And one of the things you said to me in the beginning is you can be a contrarian. You love when someone's saying, well, I believe in X. All right, well, let's go underneath there. What is it? What's the real truth? Like you're, you're seeking truth. I'm the same way. And I can be very contrarian and a truth seeker. And as I've gotten older, what I've realized is a lot of times when I'm being contrarian, I'm just being an argumentative little shit. And, and like, (laughs) I need to, 
I need to like turn the volume down on argumentative little shit. And that's why there were times when teachers would kick me out of the class because I was just being an argumentative little shit. I wasn't really seeking truth. I was just being a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. And so one of the things I've tried to lean into is curiosity because I find when I'm uber curious, the contrarian in me is not trying to be judgy, to use your term earlier, but trying to really understand the other person's perspective. And so when I lean into curiosity, I find that my convictions actually go down a little bit, which is healthy for me because I got plenty of convictions. It's easy for me. My parents instilled conviction in me and my Same. brothers. We speak our mind. We speak it fully. We speak it passionately, but we don't always lean into curiosity. So I'm curious for you as a fellow contrarian, what do you do to turn the volume down on, on being contrarian when you feel like it doesn't serve you or the people around you? That's a that's a good one. Um, so I don't. I'm rarely contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. It does usually come from like a like. Let's just say like uh, I'm the furthest thing from a Trump supporter. But I'm like, there's something there, right? So then one day I was listening to like I, you know I was hearing like oh like Hispanics are really supporting Donald Trump. I'm like really, and then I started listening to podcasts and stuff from like conservative Hispanic podcasters and stuff. And you're like, oh, this concept of like, I worked really hard to get to this country. I, I went through, I waited in line. I, I, you know, this is a great country. And like, why, like you, like Americans sometimes might be able to be more like, oh, this country sucks. Look at all this wrong shit. And they're like, I came from fucking Guadalajara, bro. Like, like, what are you talking about? This country sucks. And, and on some of these podcasts, there was this sentiment around like Donald Trump found a way to work the system. And it was like, because people be like, well, but he didn't pay taxes. He didn't do this. He didn't do that. Like, how can you support him? And it's like, that's the American way, bro. Like, work the system for your benefit. And like, he worked the system. I actually value that versus whatever. And I think because I'm in a very like democratic kind of bubble, I wreck. So that's what I try to do. I try to recognize when I'm in a bubble where everybody's telling me the same thing because there's, but yet there's a vehement alternative to this that exists so it's like there's a whole group of people that completely disagree with these people but when's the last time somebody said to me oh my god i posted something to twitter naturally curious and it was like anybody got any examples of when diversity wasn't a good thing crickets and you're like wait so we're telling me every time good like every time you know people be like oh the fortune 500 companies that are more diverse boards they grow faster you know what i did yesterday because i'm curious i found out yesterday there's an etf for gender diversity and and racial diversity right an etf one of them has a freaking 0.5 uh expense ratio i'm like what the hell but they donated all to the naacp great those companies have under underperformed the s p broadly and it's like Okay, so is this a symbolic thing? But it's not a performance thing. It's not that these companies perform better. And it's what you and I were saying earlier. Now, I'm not saying that they don't, right? But in the snapshot, it's like, can't we talk about this? And it's like, ooh, we can't talk about that because then that means that you don't believe in diversity. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is I care deeply about these things. But like, if, if, if all this stuff that I keep hearing is like, oh, the more diverse boards, the more diverse this and that, those companies outperform. It's like, well, wait, this ETF showed up a year and a half, two years ago, which would mean that we would see our performance then, right? For companies that have a higher 
diversity index. And it's like, but that's not the case. They're losing to the S&P 500. And once you break down somebody's worldview that way, they're like, fuck you, bro. And that's when you know you're onto something because you're like, well, I'm not trying to be contrarian for the sake of being contrarian. Show me how I'm not, I'm adding up A plus B. And I'm like, that should equal C. It doesn't always add up this way. And it's like, please, somebody tell me where A plus B, I'm being too simplistic or I'm missing something. But a lot of folks are like, F off, bro, because you're going in a place I don't want to go. And with the mask thing, it's interesting you brought that up. I wish more people would just be like, I'm scared or I'm virtue signaling, right? Because I read a whole article about that because I still wear my mask around Philly a, a good bit. And it's like, dude, I just don't see it as worth getting some shit because I didn't want to wear it, right? But I'm fully at the same time, I can hold that and also hold oh, all the data and the science is saying that I'm crazy and that I got very low chance of this happening, right? You can hold those two things together. There's two pieces here. One, I got COVID and, uh, and then I was in Colorado skiing and Colorado, <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Like most places they're not wearing their masks anywhere. You know, it was very different than what I was experiencing in my town of Montgomery County, Maryland. But I walk into this ice cream shop and I'm like, all right, they're not wearing it. And there's a person in front of me and the guy behind the counter says, I need you to put on a mask. And I, I was like, why is he coming at me? Like, what, why, why, what did I do? But like the people that were in line in front of me, they, they had masks on the girl that was about to leave. She didn't have her mask on. So I guess he was, he was like cool with a kid not having her mask on, but an adult. Cause I said, my son was below me and I said, Oh, I'll, I'll put a mask on him. He's like, no, 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 you. And I was like, Oh yeah, cool. But inside will inside, I was like, F you, man. Like you're picking on me. Like, why are you calling me out? And for the first time, I, I, I kind of empathized with those people who didn't want to wear a mask. Cause I was like, it's not a big deal. Just throw the mask on. Like, come on people. I'm not going to be the next guy on Twitter with my kid being like, daddy, I just wanted some ice cream. Yeah. Like we're, we're, it wasn't that big a deal. It's like, okay. And, and by the way, I, my actions were, oh yeah, I'll put the mask on. But inside I was like, why is this person telling me what I have to do? Like, I didn't like being told what I had to do. And it was a, like, I had to listen to my body and what my body was telling me because now I can kind of understand when someone is told that they have to get a vaccine or they have to get a mask. Whereas me, I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to follow that and just do that. It's not a hard decision. I can at least empathize. I don't have to agree with them, but at least let me understand where they're coming from. And the second point I'll make is when January 6th happened in Washington, DC, like I'm a fighter. So in my mind, and I'm not meant to be a fighter. I was born small and I was scrawny as a kid. Like no part of me should be a fighter, but I don't know why I have it in me to stand up for justice. And like, I was never scared of people bigger than me when I was a kid for better or for worse. And January 6th, I'm working with clients. And in between that, I'm like, there's storm in the Capitol. I'm going down there. I'm going to go defend my country. Probably wouldn't no. have been good. Yeah, like, but I didn't go. I didn't go. I'm not that tough. But like, so like, dude, you should be over in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, no, like, I'm not that tough. I talk a big game. Maybe I don't walk the walk like you were talking about earlier. But I, afterwards, someone who I'm close with and another place to look for diversity is in our military, because a lot of the military people, if you have conversations with our special ops and our special forces like they i've had many late night bottles of wine conversations where we talk about diversity and i disagree just how i see the world and how they see the world but we respect each other so we can have deep conversations but one of those former navy seals is on instagram like saying these guys did nothing wrong and i'm watching i'm like i think that's my line in the sand for this guy like and, and but i said to my wife i'm like i need to reach out to him 
Like I need Did to do you? that. And I waited like a couple of days. I was like, why would you reach out to him? Good Don't, for you. Just ignore him. I was like, no, I, I want to. And so a couple of days later I did, I sent him a text. I was like, Hey man, like I just am having a hard time understanding like your perspective on this. And so we text back and forth and he goes, you know, uh, most of my family that that's liberal, like they are just like writing me off. Like, I appreciate that you at least would send me a message and, and like, and, and the people that I've, that, uh, that inspire me are like Daryl Davis from Baltimore who went into the KKK and befriended them and got them yes! to change their mind. Dude, I was going to bring that up earlier. Yeah. Like so Megan Phelps Roper, who was part of the Westboro Baptist church and left her family. Um, and now talks about empathy. And, and the reason that she left was because people engaged with her and we need, in my opinion, to engage with the people that we disagree with. And that's the only way we change. And I, I worry about us going into our corners because most people, you're right. Most people, they, they'd rather just, it's, it's, it's hard. My mom said to me and granted, she, you know, she's 67 years old. She's like, Brian, I don't have that in me to go do that work. And I was like, well, I do. I'll, I'll go do it. Like I'll, I'll go have a conversation with someone who I disagree with and, and trust me, I'm a fighter. I want to go fight the person, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you know good for you, man. Cause you know what I've unfortunately been doing is I just been more of like a, my time is limited. So I just start cutting people out and, you know, and I know it's not the right thing and I'm interested in those perspectives, but not enough. And that's what you're saying earlier too. Like, you gotta be honest enough with yourself to be like, look, I don't want that perspective enough. I tried early on and, and I got some people that are still in my life that I can talk to in a certain way, but then like certain things when you're just like, did you really hear that on Newsmax? And now you're telling me that that's the truth. It's like, come on, man. Like I do a little bit more digging than that. When I bring you something on my perspective, I'm not just like, you know, like, Ooh, let me tell you what I've been struggling with, Bri, real struggle. And this is something no one wants to talk about. Here you go. Wrapping it up. You know how I know that I have a shitty argument is when somebody comes back with something real quick and I have no response because I didn't really think it through at the next level, next level, just the basic next level down. Having your child killed at the hand of violence sucks, period. If your child is George Floyd, losing your child sucks. If your child is one of 400 black men that got murdered in Philly last year, same pain, same pain. How many of us, me included, got up, marched, protest, got out there, we need to blah, 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 blah. And then 400 times. So let's see, you, know, you got Ahmaud Aubrey, you got, you know, Breonna Taylor, you got George Floyd, you got a couple of things that popped off all around the same time. But yet across our country, there are thousands of black men just being shot and killed in the streets and ain't a fucking person protested about that not a fucking person it's the same pain for those mothers those communities whatever now yes i get it like police are supposed to protect and serve blah, blah, blah. but at the end of the day we're talking about a person being killed at the hands of another person their family no longer has that person here i'm like how is it that this is not something that any of us are really talking about so when i'm like oh george floyd blah blah blah, blah then someone's like yo you know there's 400 black dudes killed in your city last year like where's all the protests for all those mothers and fathers who lost their sons out there on the streets due to drug violence whatever and it's like are we justifying it a little bit because it's like oh they were out in the streets selling drugs and that's different than like a george floyd who was just kind of like in his car but i've been struggling with that lately like ooh, like damn, I was out there protesting. I've been hot about these things and I should be, but also like, do I just not give a shit about 400 dudes that got shot last year and killed in my city? I'm like, no, that's also messed up. 
that's a whole different podcast. And uh, you know, what? we'll, we'll grab a beer and, and we'll riff. Cause we should, um, this has been, I've been bla- struggling with that, bro. Yeah. It's it's look, I think if you're not struggling with, with these types of things over the last two years, you're probably not doing enough thinking. And so these are big items that we should feel tension around. We should feel discomfort around. Like, I don't care what you look like, where you're from. Like, There's been enough over the last two years for you to reflect and to think about, hey, how am I showing up for my community? How am I showing up for my country? How am I showing up for the world? How am I showing up for my family? For all of us. And and we can all do better. And I think my advice to you would be like, dude, have some grace, man. Like you can have both. You can want to do more and, and realize that you are enough while there's still more to be done. Right. And uh, mm. like, that's the piece when I read your piece about enough is like, that's a question I ask athletes all the time because they wrap their identity around winning and losing. And I always say to them, you're enough. Who you are is enough. And let's get better. Like, and, and I love what you said earlier, you can hold two things at the same time. You can hold two truths. I think all of us, we need to recognize, Hey, I am enough and I got room to grow, but who I am and like, uh, who I've become up until now is, is enough. And then, yeah, I'm not there yet. And I think that's a beautiful place for us to stop. Will, if people want to find out more about the company and about yourself, I know you have a blog and you're active on Twitter. Uh, where can people do that? Uh, just Google me. You'll find me spouting off on my medium or on on Twitter, I'd say probably one fiftieth of the things that are in my head actually get written. <laughs> so his name is Will W I L. So there's no second L on there and Reynolds. And so uh, you can certainly find him online. I'm at Brian Levinson on Twitter and LinkedIn. Those are the two places I like to play. And you can listen to all these conversations at strongskills.co slash podcast, including Rand's podcast, um, which, which was really a joy to, to chat with him. Um, and Will, you're a teacher, man. Um, I think that is still a part of your identity. And thanks for teaching me a thing or two. And and hopefully we'll continue to learn from each other going forward. So thanks for coming on the podcast. Real Brian, thanks for having me. I'm glad you're in my universe. I like people that think the way you think and ask some of those tough questions. So let's stay in touch for sure. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode gem. I think so many of us, you get to a certain level and you're just running to reinforce the thing that got you to where you got to. You forget what it's like to be a rookie all over again, you know, taking out the equipment, sucking at something. And I think there's a lot of value in seeing your company watch you struggle to learn Python, to learn SQL, to learn a new language and just have them be like, damn, dude sucks. It's like, yeah, man, this is what it looks like, right? Um, So I love, but it takes bravery because once you get to a certain level, really what you, what your brain probably really wants is the dopamine hit of people constantly telling you how awesome you are. And really what you need to do is run away from those people if you want growth and instead go, where am I like one of the people that sucks again? Because that gives me motivation to get better versus being one of the people at the top and just hanging out with that same crew.